Hi, welcome to Pamper Reels. I'm your host, Nia, and on today's episode, I'll be covering Them, which came out in 2021 on Amazon Prime from writer and creator Little Marvin. Stay tuned. This home is ours. This is how it begins, with one family. They came from someplace worse. We'll have to make this place worse. What's worse than worse? Heard them folks in Compton straight up evil, man. Fuck this. There's something bad in this house. This show is a limited anthology series that explores terror in America. Set in the 1950s, them centers around a Black family who move in from North Carolina to an all-white neighborhood in Compton, California, during the period known as the Great Migration. The family's idyllic home becomes ground zero where malevolent forces both next door and otherworldly threaten to taunt, ravage, and destroy them. I wanted to start with giving a little history lesson. So what prompted African Americans to move after the end of the Civil War and after the Emancipation Proclamation? Well, there were two major movements within the Great Migration. The first movement was most Southerners moved to northern states, such as New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Michigan, Ohio, Virginia, D.C., and Maryland. In the second migration, they moved to California, Oregon, Arizona, Colorado, and Washington State. By the 1920s, Harlem became a center of Black cultural life, and this is where the Harlem Renaissance was born. Discrimination and Working Conditions African Americans were able to obtain better jobs if they had a strong background in education. Between 1920 and 1940, African Americans made substantial gains in the industrial employment, in particular from steel, automobiles, shipbuilding, and meatpacking industries. Between 1940 and 1960, managerial and administrative jobs doubled, as well as wages in various skilled trades. The migration made a cultural boom in Chicago, where their neighborhood of Bronzeville became known as Black Metropolis from 1924 to 1929, which were their golden years. Mortgage discrimination and redlining limited African Americans on their ability to obtain housing at a fair price. The National Housing Act of 1934 only added to that. The Fair Housing Act of 1968 made it explicitly illegal to reinforce racial covenants. The real estate industry continued privately to do them as a form of racial steering until 1977 when the U.S. Justice Department sued. Alrighty, folks, that right there is a sound of spoiler alert. If you have not seen the Amazon Prime TV show called Them and you would like to and not have it ruined, go ahead and stop this podcast right here. Go ahead and watch the show and then come back when you're done. Regarding the show Them, I watched it in three parts as I did not have the time to watch it in one sitting. But thinking about it, if I did have the time, I wouldn't recommend anyone watching this all at once. The show spans 10 episodes equating to a little over 7 hours of content. Now, the actors in them did a great job at portraying their characters. Deborah Orinda, who plays Lucky Emery, showed us one of many ways a mother copes with the death of a child and the aftermath of surviving a sexual assault. Ashley Thomas plays Henry Emroy, the patriarch, who battles with untreated PTSD paired with blatant racism and mistreatment in the workplace, as well as being upset with himself for not being there to help Lucky on that horrifying day. 
Shahadi Wright Joseph plays Ruby Lee Emright, the oldest daughter and at times a second mom to her little sister Gracie. She struggles with her self-identity, seemingly wanting to look more like the white woman in magazines and the girl to attend her school for acceptance by society. Melody Heard, who plays bright and young Gracie Emright, is the youngest of the Emrights, who wants to be a good daughter and student, though the powers to be try to turn her into an insubordinate child. Allison Pill plays Betty Wendell who lives across the street from the Emeroids with her husband Clark, played by Liam McIntyre. Betty feels threatened with the mere presence of the Emeroids and fears that they get too comfortable that more people who look like them will move in. Betty is headstrong on getting them out of the neighborhood, while Clark doesn't seem to mind. Ryan Quanton plays George Bell, the milkman, whom all the wives of the neighborhood swoon for, but he seems to only have eyes for Betty. I want to start off with things I liked about this show. I love the acting in it. I think that all the lead characters did a very good job at portraying their characters respectively. Um, the writing in some of the episodes were good. In particular, some of the dialogue, it seemed very believable. I also like the sets. I think they captured the 50s as I see them in pictures um, from my grandmother and my father of this brightly colored, kind of like picture perfect looking, everything's in a certain spot type of uh, place. And um, that's about it on the positives that I can think about the show, unfortunately. Um, now to warn potential viewers, the content is very strong. And in my opinion, traumatic to watch. Little, Mar Little Marvin's Them goes there and beyond. The now more known episode 5 titled Covenant Part 1 is a very difficult episode to watch and viewers are left with a sunken feeling in the pit of their stomach. After episode 5, I had to take a break. The show hit a high note for me and I actually screamed out loud at the horrors that were within this episode. In the previous episode titled Day 6, we follow Betty as she visits her mother and father to ask for a small loan since she realized that Clark has been spending what she had in their savings account. Her father is eager and more than happy to write a check for her, though her mother doesn't seem to approve. Her demeanor comes off as cold and short, even telling Betty she wishes that she didn't come back home. In this scene, we learn that she has a sister whom she isn't close to. The maid runs a bath for Betty at the request of her father, who tells Betty he will sign the check after she cleans up and even suggests that she stay the night so she came in and they haven't seen her in so long. Betty doesn't seem to want to stay, but eventually she listens to her father. Her mother comes back with two towels and walks away. Betty slowly walks upstairs and goes into the room to take a bath. We see her father in the bathroom, and it appears as if he will be joining her. Still traumatized from the past history, Betty runs out of the house and able to participate in activities with her father. So... <clears throat> The first issue I have is this trying to use empathy to relate, in particular to a racist. And my problem with this scene is the humanizing and empath empathetic approach to this villain. She is an evil woman wreaking havoc on the innocent Emeroids. I do not care about her struggle story. It still does not explain her reasoning for her deep hatred towards that family. Now, is what happened to her tragic? Yes, of course. And the way her mother handled it was obviously out of the line. But my question is, why do we have to sit through a scene with a violent and extremely violent sexual assault and the murder of a baby simultaneously, mind you, while we were spared from seeing the heinous act of incest between Betty and her father? Please, someone make that make sense to me. 
They are protecting this racist Betty and putting a black woman on display like a theater production. Issue number two, plot holes galore. The writing for the show seemed to start on a good note, but it didn't stick throughout the span of all 10 episodes. Since this is an anthology series, after the season ends, we won't be returning to check on the Emirates. Were the plot holes intentional or partial ideas made by the writers that never came to resolution? What happened to Betty's husband, Clark? Why did he deplete Betty's account? Was he cheating on her or did he have a gambling problem? It's hinted at slightly and I've heard some of what people assume is he was having um, an affair and he was a, or, or he was a gay man and he was stepping out on Betty. But when I watched it, that's not what I got. I just thought that he was going out and maybe having an, aff an affair in general. But I didn't think that the sec his sexuality was in question, so I didn't I didn't personally catch up catch that, and I won't be watching it again to try to catch that. Um, also, what happened with the milkman George after he killed Betty? Did the police ever find out he did it, or did he get away with it? Did we really need the man in the black hat? The Emory family is already going through the horrors of racism, the real life horror of racism. It wasn't needed, and it wasn't handled well to have this spiritual aspect. Did we even need the white supporting characters? We never truly dive into their stories and they are more or less serve as extras with a character name, which may have been the goal of the writers in the first place. When Henry shot and killed the officer, were we as an audience supposed to rejoice in his death and that Henry got away with it? The killing um, at the end, towards the end of Covenant, it seemed a bit excessive in my opinion. They blinded the couple, hung them, and lit them on fire. And I guess even saying it out loud, I know it's excessive, but I remember reading reports that stuff like this actually happened during that time period and even further back in history. So it's just, again, showing us the horrors of, of, of past things that have happened in America. Betty was so concerned about having a Black family move into her neighborhood. She felt unsafe and thought their presence would lower the property value. In reality, there were already horrors within her own community she was blind to or chose not to see. And it's not as if she is a stranger to horrible circumstances. Look what her own parents did to her. At first, the Emerys are a great representation of a Black family, a teacher for a mother and an engineer as a father paired with two children eager to learn. But that is quickly dismissed. Lucky and Henry are not a strong unit. Yes, they stay together, but we never see them talk to one another about the traumatic events that happened to them. The daughters say repeatedly that they don't want to be like Mama, as they think she's already crazy, but they have no idea what she really endured. How can Lucky be expected to bounce back as if nothing ever happened? It's not fair, but it shows us yet again that Black women are expected to be strong and resilient no matter what. The ninth episode is titled Covenant Part 2, and for those who don't know what that means, it means an agreement. This episode dives into the racist religious people who use scripture to justify the unfair treatment of Black people. In this episode, we learn the backstory of the man in the Black Hat, also known as Epps. Again, we learn the backstory of one of our villains. He lost his wife and child, and him being a God-fearing man, he turns to his Bible and prayer for guidance. As of answering his prayers, he finds a young boy named Miles alone in a field. He takes him in and eventually becomes a father figure to him. 
teaching them about the Bible and other day-to-day things. One day, Miles spots a couple who seem to be having problems with their wagon, as when their wheels have broken. Their names are Martha and Grafton. They're both African-American. Martha's a child, and they tell Miles and the Black Hat Man that they are on their way to San Francisco. He offers them a place to stay in town, as well as food, while their wagon's being fixed. Though the others in the village of sorts aren't so keen on the idea of taking people like them in, but he reminds them that the good Lord says they should help those in need. Now, the couple appreciate the charity of the villagers as they have been there for about a week, but insist on helping out as payment for their kindness. Martha helps the woman with um excuse me, Martha helps the woman with sewing, and Grafton helps the men when they are digging a well for water. Later on, some of the townspeople have a meeting, and Luther keeps on insinuating that Grafton is up to some kind of black magic because he set up finding the water so quickly and claims that it has to be a trick because none of them were able to find it. Epps quotes Leviticus 25, And you may take the sojourners living as aliens among you, and they may become your property. But with respect to you of your own countrymen, do not rule with severity over one another. Martha and Epps get in an argument one day. She ends up slapping him, and he grabs her so intensely that her water ends up breaking. The townspeople place her and Grafton in separate horse stalls and leave them. Soon after, young Miles comes back in and unlocks their stalls to help them escape. While trying to escape with their own horse, they get caught and put on trial. The charge? Stealing a horse. Epps decides on their punishment and decides that they will both be blinded with hot rods while quoting scripture, stating that they will be mocked and cursed for generations to come and that this is the will of the Lord. Martha yells at Epps, saying that he is cursed and is a white devil. Then the Bible bursts into flames, and the townspeople smile and laugh as they hang and burn the couple. Miles is smiling as well as laughing. The entire town catches on fire, and everyone dies except for Miles and Epps. Miles leads Epps to a safe place. Angry, Epps questions God. It is here that Miles reveals that he was the one answering Epps' prayers the whole time, and that Epps is his most humble servant. Miles, aka the devil, reminds Ep that you asked for immortal life and that he can have it only if he causes destruction and havoc on quote-unquote them. If he fails, his own soul will be forfeit. If he fails to make them suffer, he will suffer. And if he accepts the terms of a handshake, then that'll be the deal. And he does. And that is the reason why we have the man in the black hat. <laughs> All that, that, that episode 9 was, Covenant 2 was very long and drawn out and I don't think that we actually needed the episode as it seemed like a lot of filler um the the way the talents people killed the black couple was brutal and extremely hard to watch and like I said earlier I know it was excessive but I know things like this happened in real life now the final episode ends with the story of Betty as George shoots and kills her as she runs away trying to escape Lucky also breaks out of the mental hospital and the last, this last episode, it has some positives. Looks like Henry's daughter saving him when his neighbors were trying to hang him in the basement. I wasn't a fan of Miss Miss Vera's character as it didn't really seem to add anything, and she was defeated rather easily by being ripped from a book. Which how did Grace even know to do that? I don't know. Henry, he's forced to deal with not being there the day Lucky was assaulted. And Lucky is finally able to tell Henry that he can't blame himself. How could he have known what would have happened? 
She tells him that they have two girls who need them to work together. Now, the show ends with Lucky telling her family that they aren't running anymore. She goes to the basement and talks to the man in the black hat for one final time, who gives her back Charlie. But it's all an illusion, which Lucky realizes. Now, by not by her not letting him get to her and cause her or her family any more misery, his deal with the devil is now over, and this is a violation of their agreement. The devil returns to reclaim his soul. The last shot is the Emery family standing together on their lawn, waiting for whatever comes their way. The entire neighborhood and their cops are staring them down in anticipation, and we are left wondering what happened. Now... Was this show scary or horrifying? Yes. And I mean that in the most traumatic way. Certain scenes shook a nerve in me, made my stomach turn and wish I didn't see it. While watching this show reminded me of the film Queen and Slim and how it ended, I had hopes for the two of those characters. I wanted the film to end with the two of the lead characters boarding a plane and escaping to Cuba. And to top it off, the person who turned them in for a large amount of money from the police was a black man. Now, after all, after I watch all every episode, watch ten episodes, watch these seven hours, twenty minutes of content of basically racist porn. After all of that, I have a question: What was the purpose of the show? Was it to show the true horror of America and ask the question: At what time was America great? If so, they made their point and then some. If not, it's just another racist porn show or film, and I'm I've just about had my fill with them. I would love to see more black films and TV shows that have content that is not solely based on race and past events like this. Yes, they are important and they need to these stories need to be told. They are true historical events, but also I want just some regular movies with different people. I don't think that's too much to ask for. I heard a lot of comparisons to Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us, and I can see the similarities, but Little Marvin's Them isn't identical to Peele's work. You can definitely tell the creator was inspired by Peele's work, as well as other directors. And also with newcomers, with uh, with directing, whether it's film or a TV show, your first body of work is a hit or miss. For example, I love Quentin Tarantino. His first body of work was Reservoir Dogs, and it was it, it did really well for him. But it's not like that for everybody. For me, in my opinion, how I consume movies and what I want to watch, for me, the show was a, was a miss because it didn't add anything, in my opinion. It's maybe good for people who do not believe things like this happened and maybe they can learn a bit more about history. Maybe they'll look up what the Great Migration was and how that changed certain things. And maybe they'll look into redlining and stuff that's happened in real estate with unfairness. But this show wasn't for someone like me, in my opinion. I didn't need to see black people being tortured over and over and over again of of the mind and of the body i don't think it added anything for me personally um so yeah those are the few issues that i had with it now i also heard a lot of people start talking about this is the past few years mind you of should is it important that we have black roles being played by Amer- black American actors versus black actors that are from England or other parts of the world. So some people are having issues with the fact that the lead characters in this film are not American, that they're from another country, and if that's okay. It's the same issue people had with uh, Dan Kalua playing 
put Hampton and she was in the Black Messiah. Some people thought that that role should go to someone that is actually born a Black male in America and know that true experience and ha- have lived and they have lived it. So I under I understand why people feel a certain kind of way of thinking. Oh, only give these roles to people who are actually born in this country. And I also understand the other side of it where people are the same. Well, why does it matter as long as we have a visual accurate depiction of the person? For me, this show is a bit too daunting and impossible to watch a second time. Regardless, it has been greenlit for a season two. And I can only imagine what the theme will be. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Pineapple Reels. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a like and a comment. That goes a long way. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me pineapplereels at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram and that's going to be at pineapplereels. Next time on Pineapple Reels, I'll be covering Sorry to Bother You, which came out in 2018 and stars Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. Stay tuned.